At the end of the day, we meet people where they are and they consume content how they want to consume content. And it's tempting as an organization to make those decisions for them. But the reality is, it's, it's we are biased and we're bringing into that, into those strategies some things that we think are true based on our experiences personally. Before we um, get into talking about kind of marketing and specifically nonprofit marketing, I would love to know a little bit more about how you even navigated into this. You know, now you're the CEO and founder of Rally, but how did you even get to there? What's the background story and the squiggle that got you to where you are today? Yeah, I appreciate that. No, a great question. I think some of us are called to this work. I don't know that any of us would choose it <laughs> per se. It's kind of a compelling, but I grew up in a home where my father was involved with nonprofits or charity work. He worked for a drug rehabilitation group called Teen Challenge. I'm mm-hmm. familiar with it, but they, they help families. And he was a counselor, became an executive director there. But so I grew up in a home where that's just kind of what you did. You just help people. And you met people that had nothing to, had, had nothing in common with them. And they were typically quite a, quite a, had a lot of challenges in life. And you opened up your home. And so we had Christmas growing up. I have vivid memories of my dad bringing home ex-cons or folks that are in rehab and, and, and just like sharing our Christmas experience with family with them. And I could just see the impact that it had on these men and these young men. And I thought, man, like this is... We're so blessed, and this is why we have what we have, is to give it back, and we hold on to this stuff. And so I've always just grown up in that home, and my wife and I, Tracy, been married now 20, I was just looking at the other day, like 26, 27 years. It's crazy. Yeah. Uh, we must have got married when we were, like, we were, must have been three or something. But anyway. <laughs> it was a playground, it was a playground rom- romance. The sandbox right. was available on Wednesday, right. and so you just got hitched. It's totally fine. That's right. So I definitely, <laughs> so I just kind of, I started started working with in more in like faith-based and church kind of stuff, but homeless group there serving the, the unsheltered some meals. It started out with five, ten guys in a parking lot, turned out to kind of grew to two, 300 people on a given weekday. So yeah, just kind of loved, loved serving people and finding ways to, to pull resources and do more with less to get the things done in the community that needs to get done. Yeah, I love that. And so you went from being the helper to being the helper to the helpers now that you are running Rally. So for those that aren't as familiar with Rally, could you give the elevator pitch and that'll set the stage for where we're going to head in our next part of the conversation? Of course. Like the name suggests, Rally helps charities and communities rally support. We believe that you should build a movement around a cause to be successful and sustainable. And that takes activating people and keeping them activated, if you would. So if you're going to stand up or mobilize people, pun intended, then yeah. And so Rally was birthed. We're about in our third year as a company focused on what we're doing now. And it was started out of my own experience with my the nonprofits I was part of. And I'll take a quick aside here. No, I did start another company back in 2007, 2008, and exited that company in 2015. But it focused on websites for charities and causes. We powered about 9,000 websites. So that gave me an incredible insight into a lot of Google Analytics and realized that, man, a lot of people have the same challenge. So Rally is all about solving for that. Yeah, and I know Rally's focused on helping organizations mobilize people, especially through our digital connectivity. Um, But you've been in the space for a while and have seen the shift from offline mobilization to then digital mobilization. And now I feel like we're bridging into this kind of world where the line between offline and online is going away because everything is a powered experience or a digitally enhanced experience of some sort or another. So walk us through what you've observed is observed as organizations try to rally people now versus maybe how it was in the past and what hasn't changed? 
Yeah, so I know, for example, like when we would host an event in the community or we would raise awareness around an issue or a cause, we would collect signatures and paper forms, right? Or we would have somebody, we would direct somebody to a website to, to, and the burden would be on them to fill out the form and to give us enough contact information where we could get back in touch with them again. So back then, it was, the idea was, can we capture enough information so we can draw you back again and have that second or third conversation to to move you closer to some action, whatever that was, volunteering, serving, donating, participating, signing a petition, that kind of thing. Yeah, I think the trend has, like you said, it's best lines are a bit blurry between online and offline. It's really about how do we capture somebody in the minute, raise their attention and awareness as to what we're doing, and then incite in them a desire to act now. Like how do we get them to act in the moment where we have their attention, where we don't have to spend so much time and money trying to get their attention again? Because that's a missed opportunity. The minute they walk away, it's very hard to get them to come back. And it's that attention. We kind of live in this attention economy at this point where attention is the most valuable <laughs> currency. And I know yeah. I've shared this quote before with another guest, but there was a Twitter thread that talked about now is the first time in a long time that if you have attention, you can access currency or monetize it. If you have money, you can't access attention. And so it's this like flip flop where before, if you had the resources or the capital, you could basically buy attention. And if you had attention, it, it was harder to monetize. But we live in a world now where it's almost flip flop, where if you have attention, it's easy to monetize. If you have capital, it's not as easy to buy attention. And so owning that conversation with your community and your supporters is almost more relevant now than it was before as we head into 2023. Yeah, and it's only going to get, I would say, worse, but I think that would frame it negatively. I would see better in the sense that it's an opportunity for us. Because as nonprofits, as organizations that are, have the ability to activate people to take action, philanthropic, if you would, like we really are at, on the cusp of being able to leverage that. Like we have the, we have so much of a capability. It's not simply just, hey, buy our product. It's help our cause, like be part of this. So there's a lot of economists. In fact, it's a great, thing for many of your listeners to research, but a lot of economists would agree that we went through a social economy. It's all about highs in a social network. And then we went into a gig economy where it's about mobilizing a workforce of turn people that own a Prius into cab drivers through, <laughs> through the various uh, ride sharing programs. How do I get jobs delivering Amazon packages and that kind of thing for my own car and have some freedom, uh, you know, uh, more of a gig economy. And many of those same economists now argue that or will make a case that we're moving towards more of a passion economy. And we, those the folks that have the ability to activate and have that attention can really monetize that and do so much better than the rest of the world is trying to buy that because it's really hard to buy passion. Just like it's hard to pay incentivize compassion. That's not, that's a very costly age of money for sure. And while we're on the topic of attention, like the competition for that attention just is oh. running rampant. We've already touched on that, whether it's the latest episode of White Lotus or Harry and Meghan dropping their documentary on Netflix. Obviously, you can figure out the timing this weekend in the middle of December, or it's like mm -hmm. the World Cup, which is going on right now, or the war in Ukraine that's continuing to rage on, which, you know, we obviously like obviously shouldn't. But there's so much news everywhere all the time competing it. So even accessing the attention of supporters that care about your work and your cause, I think is a top concern for many of the people listening to this. And I know it's definitely of the colleagues I talk to in the space. 
So what do we do about that? What have you learned over the last years of helping organizations digitally connect or connect further with their audiences, build that in relationships? Like, how do we do that better? Where should we be focusing? How should we be thinking about that as we go forward? To your point, yes, we see so many ads. I saw a study, and it's an older study, but it's still real, probably more so true today than it was back then. But we see some 5,000 ads a day. It's insane. Let's look at our inboxes, our social streams. There's just so much noise. So the question is, how do we get the signal out and capture attention, interest, and raise the desire to act, right? That's been a long, long-standing challenge with any good marketer and anybody with a message to share. So the, the short answer is when you have someone's attention, you get them to act in the moment. You don't try to bring them back. You've got eight seconds to get a message out there and get them to resonate. And if they don't see themselves in that message, if it's not easy for them to do something about it, they're going to bounce. They're going to move on to the next thought. And getting them back again is nearly impossible. So it's taking the opportunity in the moment to reduce the friction to act encouraging that person or those groups of people to act, and then mobilizing them so that they can encourage people that they know to act. There's a process we call the viral loops at Rally Corp, one of our one of our mini widgets that we build for our customers to think about how do you take your most passionate supporters and put them to work for you? Because if you can activate them and make that kind of an army and a workforce of other folks out there, then you've just multiplied your effectiveness as a leader, leveraging the people that are already aware of your cause and have already at some level participated. Yeah, absolutely. So tip number one for those listening is really just when you do have the attention, how are you actually stewarding that? And are you activating that appropriately? Tip number two, which I heard was how do you use the people that are highly engaged as your ambassadors, as your advocates, as a, a market channel, a marketing channel that you can tap into. And there's some nuance there. And I, I heard a great quote. I don't remember. I think it was Ogilvy or someone else. One of the advertising legends is that they said, if you're looking to tap into word of mouth, which is 93% the last stat I heard offline, not online. So it's in our daily conversations where we're talking to friends, we're talking to family, we're thinking about something. And we mentioned something to the Starbucks worker about the gym we go to, or the pair of socks company we buy from. How do you tap into that? And the quote talked about, you have to actually design your message to be shared and not to be shared with your audience, but to in a way that equips your audience to be able to share it. And I think we can take a lot of cues from, like I think political groups have done this really well for for good and bad reasons, (laughs) where there's a consistent message. It's I'm gonna say something, So that when you walk away from the conversation, James, you are going to walk away with the two or three key points that I want you to repeat to the next person you collide with. And even thinking through that intentionally as we're marketing or we're sharing messages is how is this message going to not only be received, but how is this going to be packaged and reshared? So that's a nuance of tip number two I just wanted to point out. Have you seen, so you mentioned this idea of capturing or leveraging the attention you have as quickly as possible to activate in real time. And you've mentioned that at the top of the call and then in this last tip, what are ways you've seen organizations do that well or examples from maybe the work and clients that you guys have where organizations are capitalizing on that point of connection to actually activate action? It comes down to, it's always story. We buy into stories. We see ourselves in the stories. So storytelling is by far still the most effective medium. And you look at how do how does the world tell stories? Well, 
We talked about, a lot about White Lotus and these various things that are dropping this week. But the reality is they use video. Video is a highly effective medium for conveying. you got to do it short and authentic, and it can't be long, drawn out, high-budget kind of production per se. But story is a fantastic way. And the way you tell story, the way you invite folks into story through the use of video is an incredible, incredible medium. So much of us as marketers, especially cause marketing or nonprofit marketing and communications, had focused on experience. And experience is very important. And sometimes I think, sometimes, Noah, we forget that when we move to the next phase of marketing. Sometimes we think we abandon principles from the past phases, but that's not true. They're, they're iterative and they're cumulative, so they add to each other. So we don't ignore experience today because it's not, obviously we create good experiences and natural touch points with folks through their experience, but you equip them with an experience to be able to share that experience with someone else and you give them the tools to share that experience because they're going to communicate your story and their experience with your story that's what they go off and talk about. So the more you can figure out as an organization, like how do you put video and shareable stories on in some, the palm of someone's hands so that they can forward it to the contacts in their phone or post it on social media, do things with that story and, it, and empower them to share that, then of course they can invite people into that, which is critical. Yeah. It's like the old adage, which is people don't remember what you said. It's they remember how you made them feel. And I think that's true in even just in these connection points, whether it's in the inbox, whether it's through an ad, whether it's in person or maybe even in a text message stream, whatever it is, using video or using your words, how you make the feeling that emotes is what someone's going to remember right. and it's going to help them more likely share. 100%. Hey friends, Emily here from Feather, taking a pause from this stripped down conversation to share a quick story. The International Justice Mission, or IJM, is a global nonprofit with a mission to end childhood slavery in our lifetime. Each year end, IJM runs a holiday gift campaign that gives supporters real life stories of the impact a gift can make. But as another year drew to a close and goals got bigger, the IJM team decided to partner with us to level up their digital campaigns. IJM used Feather's nonprofit marketing platform and support from their Feather Copilot to launch multiple campaigns around the web to expand their reach to a larger audience. The result? They brought in $109,500, the highest amount they had ever received through digital ads. By meeting their donors where they were, IJM was able to close out a difficult year with a big win. Feather is trusted by nonprofits of all shapes and wingspans, from the arts to animal welfare and everything in between. Don't rely on magic this year end. Use Feather to streamline your digital marketing campaigns and exceed your goals. Learn more and get started today at feather.co. That's feather without the last e dot co. I would be remiss not to ask you, because I know you, you've you helped a lot of organizations think through this, not exclusively, but really help people activate the specific channel, which is the text message inbox. We talked about the email inbox. We talked about the chaos of the advertising world, even though we've actually seen organizations here at Feather do that really well. But yes, it's overwhelming. There's a lot of competition out there. Social media is kind of a mess. It's a pay per play, pay to play, like chaotic environments. Some people are opting out. Of Facebook. I know I would if I wasn't a marketer, I would have deleted my Facebook account a long time ago, but I have to use it to log yeah. into business manager. But people are reprioritizing moving from these like personalized spaces 
to more of these private spaces like a WhatsApp group or a text message group or other types mm-hmm. of chats, whether it's via Slack or a private community like our friends that We Are For Good have. How do organizations get into that? What are some best practices as they approach things like SMS or texting or tapping into these other channels? What are some best practices you've seen organizations use to be successful as they step into those spaces versus maybe where they're used to, like the inbox or social or ads? Yeah, no, I think that at the end of the day, we meet people where they are and they consume content how they want to consume content. And it's tempting as an organization to make those decisions for them. But the reality is we are biased and we're bringing into that, into those strategies and things that we think are true based on our experiences personally. Fact of the matter is there's a generation of folks out there, my teenagers, for example, that will only text their little email. Um, there was a season, there was a time I would have told you that if I wanted to communicate with my teenager, I would have to use Facebook Messenger. That's just not the case anymore. They are off of Facebook. They're not on Facebook nearly as, they, as much as they used to be. And even I reactivated my Facebook to log back into my business account, but I use a throwaway account. I think I have three friends on Facebook. I just don't use Facebook. And there's not a reason for that. I, that was back in 20, I think 2015, 2016, when I made that decision, I just, I felt like it was just, I didn't get anything out of it. I didn't want to participate. So you're not going to reach someone like me. You're certainly not going to reach my teenagers through Facebook, but you will meet them through potentially TikTok or meet them in WhatsApp or Telegram or WeChat or one of these other, you know, platforms. So I think the key with every good organization is just to realize that marketing and communication is going to be a multi-channel not a one-size-fits-all. And when you look at things like text messaging, my position on it personally and as a company, our position is that it's more of a strategy than a channel. It is certainly a channel. But we deploy text messaging only because it's the most effective medium to reactivate an audience. If there was a more effective medium out there, we would be doing that. Now, I think I mentioned this in one of our last conversations, but we were actually together as a company for 18 months researching this challenge and thinking about how we were going to leverage an audience before we landed on text messaging. And I was very resistant to it. I thought, no, why would we do text messaging? Like you could go build your own platform on something like Twilio. There's so many different tools. Why not just adapt something that's already out there? Let's go find something else. But as we looked at the research and the data, and as we ran our own experiments with our early adopters, so when I would approach a nonprofit to say, hey, my number one goal is to help you activate an audience and keep them engaged over time, which let us experiment with you to do that. I'll cover the first year of operating cost to the donation so we could build it around your needs. Those are fun times, but we came back with the reality that there's no better medium than mobile. It just happens to be text messages and appless, easy thing to do. But we, but at Rally, we've moved even beyond just texting. We're looking at ringless voicemails and WhatsApp and various channels like that, even Facebook Messenger. I think, like I said, I have a bias, but it would be doing a disservice to my customers to let my bias inform how they communicate with their donors. We just need to find out how their donors want to consume content. Absolutely. So it's more about the mobile messaging, I think, versus a specific channel. And I think that's really smart. Thinking about mobile as a strategy component, not as a channel, is going to be really effective for individuals going forward. And to that note, what are some trends you saw this year? But more importantly, where what are things that you have your eye on in mobile messaging as we head into a new year? And a new year that's, again, marked with challenges and uncertainty, different this time, but still it's the new constant. So what within mobile messaging are you seeing already 
But what almost are you seeing as we go forward and keeping your eye on? Yeah, we head into, and it's no surprise with inflation and the economy, whether you're even, I think things are going to improve or get worse. The reality is we're all doing more with less. We have to maximize our marketing dollars. We need to ensure that when we have someone's attention, we keep it and we encourage them to act in the moment. So the trends that I see is that there's going to be a, a somewhat of a necessity, if you would, to really get lean and mean and ensure that the channels that we are communicating on are being measured, that we're understanding what's working and what's not, to take more of a an iterative approach to marketing to say, hey, these are the two or three things that work well. This is what's worked in the past. Where can we learn? Where can we adapt? So measuring, it's not that hard anymore, from my estimation, from where I sit in the marketing experience that I have, to really get really clean and clear on which channels are producing the most uh, and the most effective measurement. So at Rally Corp, for example, we measure what we call the three C's, contacts, conversations, and conversions. So for us, it's really getting really clean on how are your communication channels performing? Can we measure that? Can we make really clean decisions without making it too complicated? We don't need to hire a full-on marketing team. To These tools are pretty pretty easy to implement anymore. So we pull that insights and this intelligence into our platform. And I think that to your question is that in 2023, as we do more with less, we're going to need to get really smart and make sure that we're getting a good return when we have someone's attention on Facebook. We don't necessarily need to move them off platform. But at some point, we do need their first party data. We need to get back to them. And if the only way we're getting to our audience is through Facebook, Facebook owns that relationship, not us. And we have to figure out how do we move people from these other channels into a channel where we can control the conversation and own the data and get back in front of them without having to spend another, you know, umpteen dollars to do it. Yeah, that's going to be very important. I think all three of those tips and insights are really important. Stay lean measure what matters and seek out opportunities to get first party data. All three are really important. And we're seeing that even in our own work here at Feather with our clients, when they say, what are your, when we ask, what are your priorities? And they say, Hey, we want to, we want to have more visibility into what's working and what's not working. We want to have more control over how we communicate and how we engage with our audience. Those align exactly with what you're already sharing. And that last yeah. tip, it was, I don't think it was a fully tip, but I think it was just a good reminder is that you don't need to be a marketing expert to do marketing. And I think most of the individuals on this and in our audience are doing marketing. They may not self-identify as a marketer, but they, mm-hmm. they are doing marketing. And I think many nonprofits are doing marketing. It's just a matter of whether they're doing it intentionally and measured exactly. or they're doing it what I call like ad hoc or randomly and leaving it up more to magic than marketing. And so those are all great insights and appreciate, as always, your vantage on the industry, especially given your experience and the take as we move forward into more of this kind of mobile first environment. No, I appreciate it. No, yeah, and I appreciate the time and the work that you're doing at Feather. And I think it comes right down to the reality, like you said. We're all living a story. We're telling a story. We're inviting people into our story. The question just comes down to, are we using the means to tell that story? Are we meeting people where they are and encouraging, making it easy for them to participate? Or are we applying principles from the 90s and early 2000s? It's 2022, soon to be 2023. So can we take a long, hard look? I can assure you of this, the big brands, the e-commerce brands online, the brands that you and I love, the clothes that we're wearing right now, they're not asking the question, should they use mobile? They're asking the question is, how do we best use mobile? They've been using mobile for years and, and their customers are to get it and appreciate it and understand. So it, it just comes down to how do we take 
care as a as an organization to execute on our values and our vision. And whatever channels we use, we have mobile, email, phone calls, carrier pigeons, like whatever we're using. How do we ensure that fits our values and that we're delivering on that and we're we're reaching a broader audience? And then can we do it in such a way where we're measuring and increasing our impact over time and owning the data? It's very important that we own the data. Hey, I'm William Henry. I'm the content marketing manager here at Feather, and I'm here to tell you about an amazing resource we have available for those of you doing purposeful marketing, the in-flight briefing. Every Tuesday, we'll send to your inbox the essential bite-sized information you need to take your marketing strategy from sputtering along to soaring. We think doing purposeful marketing is fun. So even though we'll be sharing a lot of new ideas and linking out to some thought-provoking content, we're going to make this briefing feel like the most important part of the flight, the snacks. We know you have many options when you fly, so we hope you'll consider joining us in the air. Subscribe today at feather.co slash inflight. That's feather without the e.co slash inflight. Are you okay if we do a quick lightning round, James? Yeah, of course. So I have a few quick questions for you that we ask all of our guests, which the first one is, what book on or relating to marketing do you wish you read earlier in your career? I'm a huge Don Miller fan. So StoryBrand, I went through the workshop many years ago. I've always loved StoryBrand. But he wrote a book recently called Marketing Made Simple. And I bought that for every member of my team that has anything to do with marketing. So I just love, I love how Don makes things so simple and easy to understand for sure. Yeah. And if anything, even if you don't get anything out of the book, by just consuming Don Miller's marketing, you're learning how to be a better marketer. And so 100%. even through the marketing <laughs> process of buying the book, you're learning about good marketing. He's yeah. great and definitely worth a follow and a read this holiday season. Question number two is, what is your go-to marketing axiom? And it doesn't necessarily have to be a marketing axiom, but something you you hear hmm. yourself repeating as you approach marketing for rally or as you're encouraging nonprofits to think about marketing? Yeah, we've talked about some of it already, but I would say, and that's like, I love this question. I got to think about it for a minute, but um, I would say that successful cause marketing is always about creating memorable experiences. And we do that primarily through stories. I would say create a memorable experience or a meaningful experience, communicate a simple promise. So simplify, you know, like make it very clear and simple, like, how do I get involved and what is it for me? And the third would be make it easy to get involved and to stay involved. Don't make me go to a website and answer 24 questions because I might, because you will lose me. By the time I react to your ad or click on whatever or respond to your appeal, if it's too difficult, I'm lazy, and I'll move on and do something else. I just, there's just a lot coming at me all the time. And getting creative around that last point. I- on Unplugged, we like to talk about real things. And I was talking to a partner just yesterday about some collaboration stuff we're doing. And we were talking about partnering and like, how do we activate community to get involved in blank and blank? And our team all stopped and we were like, hey, like, how, what's the least amount of friction we could have in this process? And the thing we came up with, which was this partner sends an email and could say, hey, we have that we love this other newsletter that Feather does. It's called the in-flight briefing. It's great. You probably heard an ad about it in this podcast that you're listening to right now. It's really great. You should go read the first issue and we'll subscribe you to future issues. Instead of having to send them through to a form where they have to read something and then click a button and then fill out a form and then click a button and then before they get value, we were just like, if we just say, hey, we're going to subscribe you. We're being transparent about that. 
And if you click on this link, you can go read the first episode and we'll subscribe you to future episodes. Easy. It's something yeah, we're like- going to experiment, which is like you've already showed intent by clicking on the link. They we already know who you are. We don't need you to tell us again who you are. And so we can just mm-hmm. subscribe you to the newsletter. You can go straight into reading the first issue and move on with yourselves. We don't know if that's going to work, but it's something we're experimenting with. And I think our listeners think about what's the least amount of friction and then go further. It's like we could send them to a forum with only their email address input. It's that's not the least amount of friction. There's something else. Keep pushing. So that's a great, great reminder as we head into the new year. The last question we like to ask everyone is what nonprofits do you believe marketing are doing marketing well? So it could be either a nonprofit. It could be someone that you follow that you think is doing really well. Some of my favorites have been on this podcast already, including Brady Josephson over at Charity Water, Taylor Hebel at Hope for Haiti. But who is it for you, whether it's an individual or an organization that you think are just nailing it right now? You mentioned Charity Water. I think I tell customers all the time, go sign up for Charity Water's blog. Watch what they're doing. Think about how they're using it. I read Scott's book, Thirst. It was an incredible book. The use of stories and how he draws you in was fantastic. So I would say Which was an act of marketing, by the way. I think that's key. Even though he wrote a book about his own experience, that's marketing. It's not some like... And I've seen it work so many times where you write... Like even a book can be marketing. It's not a advertisement pamphlet, but it's the storytelling. It's the connection. It's It's the humanization of the characters. It's pulling you in to see your part in the story. That's yeah. marketing. That's good marketing. hundred percent. Yeah. So Charity Water, definitely on top of the list. Now my wife and I participate locally in San Diego with Make-A-Wish Foundation. So we just attended a gala a couple of months back and I just was absolutely impressed. Always am. Such an amazing event about the experience that they create from the paddle rays to the the fine, fine cheese. They had, they had this sand castle and this castle that they had these kids design and they built. It was the dream castle. They had that on display here at the local resort, the Gulf Resort we were at. And just a fantastic use of story and video and really draws you in. That we just It was a fantastic evening. And so I thought, yeah, the Make-A-Wish Foundation and there's several groups like that that we work with at Rally Corps and others who had different names, similar kind of work. But just an incredible experience to draw you in and see the impact that your gift could make. And to recognize that this world is a big place and there's lots of people and that we all, if we pull our resources, our time, our energy, can do a lot for one another. And we want to. That's what, that's human. That's when you are most human, Noah, is when you're most alive, is when you're most connected to your tribe and helping people. Not because we're better or we've arrived, of course, but because we've all been given opportunity to serve. And and that's how we, that's really, it's our delight, not just our duty, but it's our delight. I think the definition or meaning behind philanthropy is the love of humanity. And I feel like that's exactly that's part of our purpose and meaning. And that's a heck of a way to end. James, always yeah. encouraging. All right, Noah. Thank um, you. And inspiring. Really appreciate the time. Yeah. Very good. Thank you, my friend. And have a fantastic day to you and your audience.
But yeah, how was your visit to Phoenix? I know we didn't get to see each other, but I know that's where you were headed last time we chatted. Yeah, we stayed at a great little state park. It was a lake. Is it Pheasant Lake? Pheasant Lake. Pheasant Lake. Anyway, it was great. So we stayed there in the RV and got to see some family and, yeah, do a little bit of thrift shopping, which is what my kids like to do. Pop some tags. There you go. (laughs) I put 20 bucks in each of their pockets and sent them to the store. That's what we did. 20 bucks. Does that buy anything any anymore? I feel like. No. That's why I give it yeah. to them because it, it forces them to think about like maybe they should just save it. Yeah, for sure. 